0: podcast. I'm your host, your tallest boy. This is the first episode ever. Uh, this is one of these things that I didn't think I was going to do podcast wise. I came to the realization that it's easier than I thought. So, you know, why not? I'm going to keep these intros short because I really want to go straight into the conversation, but I'm going to add that I'm going to kind of be a DJ here. I am going to have some songs in the intros. Uh, they're going to be different every time. And maybe if I'm feeling spicy, throw another one in the outro. So to anyone who's interested in the songs, I'll be posting it in the description somewhere, definitely. Or if not, just hit me up and I'll tell you what song it was. So my first guest is Minju Bum. He is from the Anaheim, California area. He has this new band, a Metalcore Outlet. So anybody who's into that kind of scene, the heavier scene, definitely check it out. They're going to be coming out with the EP... I oh, know, Maybe in the next few weeks or later in the year. I don't know. They do have a single out now called Poison Well. And they're also going to put out a video soon with Rory from Dayseeker. It's definitely a really sick EP. I got to listen to it. Really enjoyed it all the way through. I really didn't know Minju before this. So it made it really fun. The conversation just kind of flowed. It even went to like two and a half hours. I had to edit it because it was like way too long. And he was also nice enough to bring a whole 24 pack of beer from his job, Brewery X. Um, so it was just really cool, just chilling and drinking, trying out all the different beer. Such a nice dude. With that being said, here's my conversation with Minju of Blind Wolf.
1: Dutch when you fucking make an Asian <laughs> beer, like you're welcome. I clean the tank. You know? That's all it did. Yeah, I clean the tank and then I transfer. So basically, what my job is, even if there's multiple brewers working with same shift, there's only one brewer like per like brewing shift, I guess per se. And then everyone else is kind of doing what I'm doing, which is like transferring beers, kegging shit off, mm-hmm. like canning, the cleaning tanks. Like that's the most important because you know, like. If you fuck up cleaning a tank, you're just wasting a lot of beer because like yeah, it's like yep, tastes fucked up. Dump that, and that's like sixty barrels. <laughs> like, oh man, it's like a huge ass tank. <laughs> so you live in Anaheim, right? Yeah. Did you grow up in Anaheim? No, no, no. I was born in Korea, and uh-huh. then well, I lived in New Zealand for like two years. My mom wanted me to learn English, uh-huh. and then so I just live with like a random family out there. Wait, no way. So yeah. you were
0: born in Korea? Yeah. And then after, after
1: I finished first grade, they, um, my mom flew me out there and then I stayed there for two years and then it was really cool because like, you know, that's when they were filming Lord of the Rings and I was living in the area where they were filming Lord of the Rings and uh-huh. that was like a huge thing for them because I think when I moved there, it was uh, the first movie was already out and then like it already was like a huge hype for the country and, you know, like I should have appreciated it more, but that was so young and I was from Korea where, you know, like I wanted to play video games, but It's cool because going back to the brewery, um, one of the uh, the hops that we used in our anniversary beer, it came. It's a Nelson hop, and it came from New Zealand. And then they actually invited us out there to go, but was the whole coronavirus thing like got canceled and Yeah, would have been like a really cool like everything comes in like a full circle thing, but (laughs) Yeah, that
0: would be cool. So you haven't been back since. No, and I would love
1: to go because when I was there, it was everything was so beautiful and like. The nature is just, like, I feel like it's on steroids. Like, every bee that you see is a bumblebee, like, this big. Every, uh, like, apple is, like, this big. And, like, you can literally pack a kiwi to lunch and then just (laughs) chop it in half and, like, dig in with a spoon. And it'll be, like, enough for, like, a kid's meal, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Dude, that's wild. I've always seen, like, I'm scared of spiders. So oh, I yeah. they have like the craziest spiders. Of, like,
1: I don't think I remember that, but I think Australia is supposed to have those giant ones. Oh, maybe. Right? Yeah. They, yeah. And Australia they're is. right next to each other. New Zealand was I don't think I remember seeing spiders that big, which is crazy because everything else was so huge. You know? yeah, fuck.
0: <laughs> so you were there for two years and you learn English. Yeah. And then I
1: moved back to Korea for a little bit. And then um, it's crazy because Korea, they're really like crazy about academics like every mom or every parent expects their kid to be like number one in school like that's like a realistic expectation that every parent has so when I just moved to New Zealand I was just like you know like playing soccer outside and then I moved back after two years and then even though I was like the best at math when I like lived in New Zealand I came back and I realized that everyone else is like years ahead of me for every academics and it was really hard to catch up and then i don't know i I think that's my mom was like oh let's fuck it let's move to the u.s and and then it was like a perfect environment for me where there was like more asians i wasn't the chinese kid anymore even though i'm really korean you know there's other koreans there's korean markets and you know especially where i lived in irvine well before that i lived in encinitas which is less asian i guess but when i moved to irvine everyone was complaining about irvine saying it's like too safe but then not for me i was like this is like I love it here. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's nice. Irvine is nice. Uh, I used to have a friend. She lived in Lake Forest. Yeah. Right? It's I, right next to you. Yeah. Dude, I loved it. Like, I felt like, well, I would drive over here to over there, and it felt like I was going on vacation every time.
1: Yeah. It's like, completely
0: like, and then you're it's in It's like kind of sleepy, quiet, yeah. but like everything's
1: there, and it's closer to the beach. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's cool, man. So, when you came to the U.S. after Irvine, as you got older, did you grow up like there? Or did you guys kind of move around a little bit?
1: No, so, I mean, we only moved around once, I guess, is when I originally came here, it was Encinitas, and then I did fourth grade there, and then after that, the rest of the time was all Irvine. But um, my mom was still, like, you know, like, just like any mom in Korea, I guess she expected me to be, like, a doctor or something, you know, like, and here I was, like, trying to make, like, screamo music in front of her, and then yeah its she just didn't see it that way and in eighteen I had to move out and live in my band's lockout space, oh okay. yeah, so I was like it was luckily right after I finished high school, and uh my my ultimatum was that my mom saw that I didn't really try to apply to anything, yeah, and I was kind of over it and I was like trying to work at a restaurant, do music, yeah, so she like kicked me out and, and it's everything's cool with my mom and I now, and shes kind of sees it better, I guess, but yeah, at the time, like I lived in a those uh, industrial lockout buildings right next to Malone's. I don't know if you knew there was one yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's like, you know, like those build- long buildings with like A to G, whatever. And if you go into one of those letters, it's like maybe like 13 rooms. And then they rent out those rooms for like, I don't know, back then it was like 500 bucks per room. Uh-huh. And then the whole band split it. So I would realistically be paying $100 per rent. Mm-hmm. I will shower at the gym. <laughs> and then I still have my van, but yeah, my van was like, it's a piece of shit, by the way, but <laughs> that was, like, my ride, and it was already paid off, because it was, like, a $3,000 van. The van yeah. for the band. Yeah. Okay. That was my first car, and I still have it. <laughs> uh-huh. I I didn't drive that here, obviously, but I still have that, and that was, like, this is, like, an elevated ceiling with, like, drawers. That was, like, my extension of my closet, kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dude, uh, so similar, man. I had a van, too, and it was pretty crappy. Uh, I had to sell it after one tour, because on the way back from new mexico back to california it was just so done dude (laughs) it was like a 99 dodge i think yeah dude mine's a 95 ford no it's you know it's worse (laughs) that's so sick well before like i want to get into like you and the band you're in when you were living there but how did you get into like not just guitar but who introduced you to like the heavy music because i always find it interesting of like because it's kind of with this own little world yeah like not everyone's into it
1: yeah i guess there's two parts to that story um i guess the more specifically it would be the guy that um i I talked to you about before that works at the studio um he actually was in drumline uh when i when he was a junior and i was a freshman in in high school and i knew him because i was friends with his younger brother and he introduced me to him but that that dude was already in on the shoulders of atlas and he was in um, marching man drum line and then he was kind of encouraging me because he saw that i play guitar too from his younger brother to mm-hmm. get on drum line and to be honest first gr- uh, freshman year i didn't make it because like, i just sucked and um, everyone was so good and like you know <laughs> that that guy cameron he was already good at drums drum set but he, he had a really humbling experience where he had to relearn how to do like a full stroke you know just like because every drummer has like you know, like, however, however they learn, like, they just hold a stick, whatever, but it's, like, in Marching Man, it's very important that, like, stick heights look uniform and you're really getting out of the way of the stick and getting the full rebound. And he actually had to, like, unlearn everything and relearn it, and I seen uh, the effect that it had on him playing drum set and that kind of just, like you know, I think I really respected that and then I really wanted to be in the band and that guy, uh, he was the one that was showing me uh, music, like, I think back then it was like august burns red and uh haste the day and stuff like that and i was kind of more into like <clears throat> Avenged sevenfold bullet from a valentine kill switch engage like those kind of um you know like the transitional metal bands where it kind of crosses from uh like mainstream pop influences as well as like the heavy guitar and heavy drums or whatever it is um so he was the one that kind of showed me the bands that are more on the like the core side i guess like metal core and yeah, it was, like, a whole new experience for me where I was, like, oh, like, it's very closer to, like, the style that I listen to, but it's definitely, like, I don't know, like, in ways, I thought it was fresher because it was, like, less cheesy than some of, the, like, the lyrics or melodies that bands like Avenged Sevenfold would have, and it would be, it would sound more, like, raw, and that's what I really liked, and, yeah, that's pr- pretty much how I got into, like, modern, like, metalcore music, but before then, like, I told you, I'm from Korea, and, um, If I could give a little bit more background on my, like, family story is that my dad was one of the first, um, I guess, like, founders of, like, the MP3 player before iPod and and Samsung. He used to work for Samsung, and he quit Samsung to make his own uh, MP3 player, and then it was, like, a big success, and, like, that's why I had the money to move out to New Zealand, and when I went to New Zealand, everyone kind of saw me as a kid from the future because they're still (laughs) having CD players and, like, cassette tapes and, like, that they're bringing to school in their like pockets that's trying to fit into their pocket and that's a huge thing and here i am like yeah. with the little little device saying like yeah you can just download shit on here and they're like what where's the cd you know and then it was like oh, it was cool but more importantly it was a, a opportunity for me to listen to other shit that's not k-pop because when i in first grade or after first grade like I was so young, and I would just listen to the shit that my parents would play, and it would be a lot of K-pop. Like, everyone in Korea just only listened to K-pop, pretty much. Yeah. It was cool. Like, that's when I actually passed around my MP3 player with my classmates out there, and then they downloaded, like, Limp Bizkit, like, Linkin Park, Guns N' Roses for me, like, Audio Slave too, I think, back then. And that's when I got really introduced to just, like, rock and metal in general, you know? Uh Uh-huh. And... Yeah, they were really cool about it. I thought they'd like make fun of me for like the Korean music, but then they would actually like, listen to like the K pop music and then like they try to like sing it back into me oh, and then it was like a cool like, exchange of music thing and cool thing at that time for me because, you know, like, I could barely speak English and they all kinda like looked at me like the like weird kid, but then they realized like I have this shit and then they're like, Oh, this guy's cool, you know, like yeah.
0: Dude, that is yeah. so mind-blowing, man, a fucking mp3. You were that kid from the future.
1: Right? Yeah, but then, uh, yeah, so my dad was doing well, and I think <laughs> he just got really cocky, and, like, my sister just re- recently told me that, like, back then, like, these big, like, newspapers and big, like, you know, companies would try to set up interviews with them, and he would literally just, like, ghost them and, like, not show up. It was <laughs> just kind of really cocky about it, and, then like, obviously, like, um, Samsung and Apple took off, and his business was, like, no longer, like, a cool thing anymore. It's just like, all right, like, you might have had the idea, but we've got these big tech companies who are going to do it way better than you. And then, yeah, that's when I kind of saw that my dad just, like, kind of fell down really hard from uh, being, like, you know, like a successful entrepreneur, I guess. And I don't really keep in contact with him that much anymore, but yeah, it's just kind of a bummer that I I saw him, like, do really well, and then now he just kind of probably, like, works at, like, an office. Just I'm not – really sure what he does but my sister told me she still does like the company and stuff but yeah it's definitely nowhere near the level it was but I'm still very thankful for you know just him doing that and me being able to get the experiences I did so I'm not too bummed about it I think and it was definitely like a a hard thing to grow up through because you know like obviously when he was doing well like my life was a little bit different than when I lived here alone with my mom and she's working as a waitress so it's like a huge thing for me to get used to but in mm-hmm. all in all i'm glad that I had to go through that okay. it was like overall like a it's a cool thing you know
0: yeah definitely you see a whole different side and it's kind of it's kind of raw too like as you grow up and realize like your parents and stuff because they always kind of tell you certain things that you don't really get and then yeah. you get older and you're like okay like you're at this time in your life and then you made this decision that kind of how it played out and Sometimes they just don't tell you it. Or well, even in something. the
1: details where they don't tell you, where, for example, where I see that, you know, like you can go from being no one to being really successful, but you can also, that's a very fragile thing. And then you also, you always see that in the most successful people where, you know, like you think they are having like the craziest, most cool life, but then they, you find that they commit suicide. some nowhere or so. You know, it's just being aware of that at a young age where, you know, like I know. Even if you make it big, it's really easy to become no one again. So, yeah, it's it's a scary thing, but yeah, it's uh, I'd rather be, I'd rather have grown in that environment than just when nothing went wrong. And when you know, now I'm an adult, if I were to face some like adversity like that, I probably wouldn't know what to do as well as I can now because I went through something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Damn. So, now that you're going back forward to the like, story where you're kind of living in this rehearsal studio so you're like 18 ready to grind you're fresh out of high school yeah. i'm assuming you're were you doing the band thing like senior year yeah i mean
1: that's you, the thing man like i did the band i was like the young kid of the of the band because i these rest of the dudes um they were either going to college or they landed a career where i can just feel it in the air where you know like i'm the only one that's super focused on making sure the band will work out and everyone's already kind of like not exploring other options, but they are getting prepared for the next stage of their life. And as that happened, um, you know, I try to push through it with my drummer because he was the only one, well, he w- was going to school for uh, audio engineering back then, but since he, that's in more in the realm of doing music with me than someone who's trying to be an engineer or whatever, mm-hmm. excuse me. But yeah, um, we try to make it work and that's pretty much how we made our album Happens because, um, yeah, it was just kind of came down to us to push the band forward and then slowly in, but surely I realized that my homie's Cameron, his goal was to be an audio engineer and even though it kind of sucked for me because he's the one that like I told you ex- like kind of showed me the whole world of metalcore and now that I thought like we're working really well, he's going to be doing other stuff with music, but you know, I had no other choice to like, respect that but then yeah that all that was happening while I was like living in the lockout so I wasn't very like you know like I was like kind of wondering what I was doing and kind of being sad about it but now that I look back that was like really rewarding because that's when I had like nothing to worry about besides the hundred dollars of rent and I'm just constantly in the environment of creating Mm -hmm. and I see it like that now and I feel like that's a lot of experiences like Sometimes I can't really, like, enjoy it in the moment, but looking back, I realize, you know, like, that was cool, and that was actually, I thought it was shitty, but, you know, if I could have that again, I probably would, you know, like, if I could just have no responsibility and only be able to do music, especially now I have all this experience, I think that'll be really productive for me, but... You know, it's also very hard and, you know, yeah, having to shower at a gym is no fun. You know? Yeah, it's like you're on tour all <laughs> yeah, the time. Yeah, the time. yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. you got to worry
0: about where to shower and shit.
1: A tour to the gym, you know, in my van. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The lockout space at the van.
0: Dude, uh, honestly, so much respect to that because I, I feel like a lot of people growing up and trying to do music and a uh, family household does play a big part. Like, my parents didn't get what I was doing, like, ever, and I still continue to live with them, but I'm too scared to take a jump or a risk like how you did, so, like, much respect, because... Oh. Oh, I had no choice, you know? Yeah, well, it... Well, and at the end of the day, I think it's just hard as fuck, because it's like, you kept going, you know? You could have just been like, man, all right, you know what? Like, I don't know, fuck the music thing or whatever, but, you know, you're grinding with it. That's, I think that's super cool, man. Yeah,
1: I think, I mean one thing that I always have in my mind, I feel like that keeps me from quitting music is like, I'm just like, I put too much time into this and I haven't put any time into anything else where if I quit this, then I'll be probably not as good as good as that as music, I guess, you know? And so that was kind of like my mindset that never changed, I guess, even when, uh, when I was living in the lockout space and we actually had like one, of one of the, one Vegas show randomly and we were supposed to drive out there. And, you know, back then I was, you know like i was kind of a degenerate i would be smoking all like all the time and the lockout space like installed a like a new fire alarm and Mm -hmm. i didn't know (laughs) and as we were packing up to leave to go to the show in vegas we're all happy let's smoke a little bit more and then all of a sudden not just our not just our room or the build like all the unit but the whole fucking industrial building that's like that stretches the whole street start going off and i was like all right like I'm for sure kicked out of here, you know. Like uh-huh. they put a notice not too long ago, like do not smoke in here too. You know, like, I'm cool with smoking, but just don't do it here. And yeah. I was like, and I so we left with the whole building just going off, right? And then it was like, all right. I'll figure out my living situation <laughs> after this shit. And you know, they come back. I'll yeah. Worry about it. <laughs> and then we go to the gas station to fill up the van, and my dumbass just leaves my wallet on the gas pump. And then, as we <laughs> driving down like the Riverside Freeway, like maybe like almost like 20 percent the way to vegas i'm like oh fuck i left my wallet there so we sit in traffic all the way back to the gas station and then it's gone and we checked the camera we saw who took it and i tried to call that company and it didn't work out you know just they never gave it back and i just luckily i did not have any money in there because i was really poor back then but still (laughs) like i had my credit card in there like that's how i was supposed to buy food and shit and then so i'm like all right I'll figure this out later too, you know, and then we just leave to Vegas, and, you know, my bandmates are trying to be like, it's going to be chill, you can stay with me, and I'm like, whatever, you know, like, I'm trying to keep a positive thought, and then the van's radiator blew up on the way to Vegas.
0: <laughs> it just overheated on the spot?
1: Yeah, something happened, I think uh, my mechanic told me that the thermostat got stuck, and it just blew up, <laughs> and then we had to call, like, someone, some other, like, band, and we had to borrow their <laughs> van, and I got my van towed. And now I'm just really fucked, you know. And <laughs> I was just like, all right, I'll figure all this shit out when I get back. <laughs> and I get back, and I just, I'm, you know, like I have nothing now, right? <laughs> no car, no living space. How was the show? No wallet. It was okay. <laughs> yeah, we opened for Silent Planet actually. Silent what, Planet. What year I, was this? I don't know. It was uh, make 2014. Silent Planet, a friend of foe.
0: Did you play at that? Was it called the Eagle
1: Hall? I well, I played there, but that wasn't the show. Like the Eagle Area Hall, I think. It's cooler than Malone's, but maybe not quite as cool as Chain. Like, it's, like, right between there, but it's a way bigger space, and they drink, like, they've been serving alcohol there, and it gets way more pop-in for, like, a local show than those other two venues that I mentioned. But this other one was kind of, like, more of a off, like, one-off venue. I don't think they do a lot of metalcore shows anymore.
0: Yeah, this scene was better in Vegas, though. Yeah. I would say, like, definitely, like, a local show... Over here, whether like how you said Malone's or Chain Reaction even, like compared to the kids who want to just see a fucking band or a show at Vegas, they would just show up. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I actually experienced that firsthand when uh, I actually, so going back to my story, it all kind of plays in, I guess. Uh, I moved back and I had nothing, just couch surfing kind of getting looks from my friends' parents, like, was this dude gonna figure it out? And uh-huh. then the Korean barbecue I worked at just said, ironically, we're opening up a new uh, new location in Vegas, uh-huh. and we're paying for your housing, so... I was, like, the first in like, right, I'm signing up, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, we lived in, like, a... Like, we, hopped Airbnb like every month and it was every one of them was like a huge mansion. And I was like, Oh, this all fucking worked out. really And I saved money to buy a car that works. You know? <laughs> uh-huh.
0: So you, you just migrated to Vegas and then kind of figured it out. And how long did you do that for?
1: For two years there too. Oh shit. Yeah. So That's crazy. yeah, I was working at a cream, a couple of different cream barbecues actually. And yeah, it got to a point where I had no reason to stay out there because I was Driving sometimes like to Malone's to play to thirty people and drive back to Vegas. <laughs> like that's yeah. like a normal thing to make on the shoulders work. And yeah, that I just had no reason to do that anymore. And um yeah, that's when I I mean, before I moved to Vegas, I like I started dating my girlfriend and she was trying to move out, so it became like a situation where we got to just you know, I got to move back and you know, move in with her and I've been with her ever since and that was in Anaheim, so now I'm still in Anaheim.
0: Damn, that's cool, man. I like how it really played out. And it kind of like... I know you wish it was like full circle back to New Zealand. Yeah. It's a little, yeah, it's it's like a little we... local metalcore community right here to Vegas and back. And that's cool. That yeah, exactly.
1: And out. then that's where I met. Um, yeah, so back to that story of local shows in Vegas. I It was a Distinguisher and We Gave It Hell's like, just show. So Distinguisher is actually a really big local band in Vegas. Um, we Gave It Hell, I know... Those guys from um, doing the Sumerian battle, of the band thing, a couple of years back, and okay, like, did they
0: have that in Malone's?
1: They did, and then we had we had both made it to finals, and that was at Whiskey A Go and we both lost. And who won? Uh, I have Helix won. I was one of the <laughs> bands that won. Um, actually, they picked so many bands that won, and then I was so pissed because like, damn, how can you pick so many bands over us? You know, like I get it if we're not the winner and we're like coming like close to it, but yeah they just kept reading names that won (laughs) and then read like eight to nine names i I, it has to be and then it just ended i was like what the fuck i was so bummed out (laughs) oh man (laughs) yeah shit. i thought like it's so funny man like you know we were talking about you know shit that where you as you go through you don't understand but now like back then i thought it was all over you know i was like i worked for it so hard for this this was my chance to get signed you know like And then I was young back then too, so I was like taking it up the ass pretty much, you know, like, oh, maybe I should go back to school, you know, like saying (laughs) shit like that. But then now that I look back, um, I'm thankful that we didn't win that competition because I don't think that uh, competition was, or that contest to be signed by Sumerian was very beneficial for many bands that won that. Yeah, Um, Yeah. and then I don't know if I told you about Nathan, he's from Ivy Helix, the vocalist of the project that I'm doing and you know like I feel like without them winning that they might have gotten further I I don't know maybe I'm kind of spitballing here but you know like that I learned at the end you know like even if I won that I probably wouldn't have been where I wanted to be as like a a band and that's kind of where going into like the music thing now like that's my mindset with this is you know like I don't want to be like in, in like a band where I'm just trying to get signed to a record label that's going to, you know, like spread the word for us. I kinda, I kind of want to cover that already where, you know, I'm just doing the the project and kind of like even if it's a smaller scale, you can kind of like build it on your own and right now it's a it's a good time to do that. I feel like is because um a lot of the bands who were trying to put stuff out right now or even before all this COVID thing happened, they had to not do that because I mean, I'm not exactly sure how it all works out, but to my understanding, it's kind of like uh, they, you know, the record label backs you with a lot of um, funding for, you know, like music videos or whatever, like merch, and then your job as a band most of the time is to make it all back on tour, so all this music that you worked on, if you're not touring, it's pretty much not very beneficial for these companies, and that's why I feel like the pool is a little bit smaller right now, where um, there's not many... Not that much music coming out because the bands, it's not smart for them to put it yeah, out right now. because
0: they're waiting to move, like things to get lifted so they could tour
1: the yeah. album, make the money. Which is the whole reason why they're signed under contract for something like that, right? Because you're getting all the funding now to make it back exponentially bigger for everyone and everyone wins. But yeah. um, for local bands like me, I think it just really doesn't mean anything because you're just sitting on stuff yeah you're, just, you're sitting on
0: things that you've been working on for a while and, you and just want it, now is the it time
1: to put out music for new projects because the pool is cleared up a little bit where you know there's not as many things coming out and people are very hungry for the music so i think right now is a good opportunity for local bands who are starting to you know start putting stuff out and start building their names so when it comes time to play a show, when everything is over, you kind of have an upper hand versus other local bands who hasn't had the opportunity to build their name up during this time when, you know, it's kind of like back to the brewery thing, man. Like everyone's closed and my brewery is like the one that's big enough to stay open. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, the competition kind of cleared out for them too, you know, where no one's open. We're the only one that's open and we're gonna take it all the customers. So I kind of see that as a pattern if you want to make it as, like, a uh, no one, you kind of have to, like, assess the situation, assess the audience, and try to get an edge somehow, you know? And I think, in in weird ways, I think I figured out this is, like, my edge, I guess, since mm-hmm. I've been working on this for so long. And I thought this is a bad thing because I was all ready to go, and then this COVID thing happened, but then it's actually, in a weird way, very beneficial for this it's project. It's kind of a blessing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Where I think, you know, if we if shows were a thing right now and my project that's put out one song like we can technically get on a show but i think you know like if people know about your project and are excited about it and can't see your show for a long time it kind of just creates some kind of demand i don't know maybe i'm wrong but that's what i'm thinking yeah
0: (laughs) dude yeah so like now well on shoulders of atlas i remember seeing you guys playing like the pirate thing, kind of like those kind of shows and Malones and stuff. Um, how long were you guys a band for? Since high school, right?
1: Yeah, so they were a band before I was in the band, and I joined. I think my junior year of high school. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, they uh, they started. They used to be like the little kids who like played heavy music and opened for. I think, ah, what I think it was, it was like old school band, Destroy the Runner or something like that, mm-hmm. and. Um, there was a couple other bands that played before them and then on the shoulders was like the openers and then I guess I wasn't there, but then <laughs> uh, the dudes from the band tell me that like as they got off and then the second band, a bunch of old dudes started playing that everyone was like like booing them, telling them put the little kids back on, you know? Like, <laughs> what a fucking
0: <laughs> slap in the face. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then, yeah, that's when I, I think, so they were in the band like as young as like maybe like 14 15 like mind you they're about like two years older than me yeah and then uh it was the band was very lucky because we used to have a guitarist his name was nadav he was kind of like the brains for the band um the whole time kind of like the writer he was definitely the brains because you know he was like the school president and like got it to stanford and he had all this shit to do but he can make metal to me- do the he band. Could, no like he didn't have. He d- clearly had no time to like take the music like as seriously as everything else he does. But just like the split second he would give to sit down and play, like it would be so good. And you know, like we, that's kind of like how the band moved forward. We would just kind of have to like ask him to make time. And the little time he makes was super efficient. And um, yeah, so he left to go to Stanford, obviously. And then that's when I had to step up from bass to guitar. Even though I really just play guitar, they needed a bassist back then, and then the the plan was for me to take over on guitar when the Nadav left, and he did leave, and then I remember, like, I was just so stumped, like, how am I going to write music? I've never written music before, and uh, that's when my homie Cameron, the drummer, he was kind of, like, working towards me again, like, even though, just like how he showed me the music in general, he was showing me how to write it type of thing, you know, even though he doesn't even play guitar, he'd be kind of taking the approach, like, like, he has a cool approach of, taking like, writing music. He likes to simplify things where it's, like, make it as simple as possible but still cool where um, you're really careful about choosing what note or what rhythm and, you know, working the space in between to make the impact hit harder rather than making the the riff more technical or the drums more technical, per se. So, like, that was a really helpful, for th- helpful thing that I learned from him is because that is kind of how kind of music that I like in general I think you know just I do like technical and like fast stuff and aggressive stuff but when someone can dial that back a little bit and really create like I said space for the impact to hit harder I think that's a lot like heavier in my mind than like a your traditional heavy breakdown or low tuned guitar or stuff like that yeah
0: because you know? could still be heavy without dropping tunings and yeah stuff. I feel like there was this weird time where everyone would be like heavy as shit and they thought just dropping your guitar was going to make you heavier. But in <laughs> reality, you could just roll cooler stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always like the little like tips and like little tricks that I've heard from people over the years in the scene. Like, I won't say who, but his band had really cool breakdowns. And I filled in for him one time, so I really got to know him. And I was like, dude, how do you write your breakdowns? Like They're so groovy and bouncy. And I'll never forget it, dude. He was like... I get one of my favorite breakdowns, and then I get another favorite <laughs> breakdown that I like, and I take the first half, and then I take the second half of the other one, and I put them together. And I was like, "You're a piece of shit," but that is genius, dude. It just saw patterns.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think for me, writing breakdowns or writing music, which like I think uh, helps out the most, is I think I do have a, like a brain of a drummer, even though I'm not a good drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because like the whole like syncopation, or rhythm, and like, proper way to get rebound on drums, like, all that stuff was so hammered into me when I was in marching band, because we would practice, like, nine hours a day over the summer, and, like, nine hours over the day, like, during school, like, on the weekends, like, it was, like, a non-stop thing, and, uh, these drums on the marching band, I'm not sure if you ever played one, but the tension's super high, where, like, especially on a snare drum, you know, like, if you go to a drum set, and the snare drum has the most tension, so you can do rolls and stuff like that, but these are, like, like, that times 100. Like, you can just, like, literally just drop a stick, and then it'll just go ping, and then just go all the way up. So that means you can manipulate that to do some crazy fast rolls, you know? And um, so it, you have to learn how to read that stuff and play it in time. And that's directly beneficial to writing breakdowns because <laughs> you know how to syncopate every rhythm as fast as you can humanly play it. And even though you can't play it physically like that, you know how it'll sound if you play it on a meaty drum machine yeah. and write parts like that where sometimes, you know, like I have to chill out because like a drummer doesn't have three hands, you know? <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah
0: there's sometimes where I'm just kinda like The first time I started mitting drums, I was so irritated because, like, this looks confusing as hell. And then just leaving little things in there and, like, oh, and then, like, realizing it's not humanly impossible to do that (laughs) or just kind of ridiculous. I remember Diego from Volumes. uh, We went to his house, like, early on, right before Volumes kind of, like, really got off. He was recording My Bands for CP, and he was telling us that, like, he wrote some of the patterns or breakdowns just mitting and just messing around with the midi drums yeah. and then learning it it wasn't really like oh i had this pattern in my head it was just kind of like
1: yeah i think that's a huge way i write stuff too is i start with the drums and then i MIDI it out and you know i land on like a cool rhythm and then try to match that with the guitar hence the problem that i sometimes have with like trying to like obsess with the bass drum hitting the low note of the guitar at the same time type thing but that's I think how my ideas usually come to fruition is I try to mess around with the the drums until it becomes like a backbone of like a potentially cool guitar part even though I don't have no idea what it's going to be mm-hmm. and I can slowly build on that you know even if you um you told me that the guy from volumes he learned it but for me like I don't even learn that I just kind of listen to it and I come up with you know like a guitar that would fit and then usually um it comes out to be me writing out like half of a bar on the guitar saving it and then recording the second half like on another take and then that's one measure yeah and then try to like connect them into one idea yeah like smoothing the edges i guess you know like i guess that's how i that's why i think i have like the mindset of a drummer is because i need to kind of like utilize what i know about rhythm first and it becomes like a canvas where i'm not exactly sure what it is but as i learn like, oh, like, this this note could sound cool, I guess, you know, or, or some, I don't know, just just general um, techniques like that, I guess. Yeah. yeah.
0: I kind of noticed that, like, listening to, well, to anyone who's listening, Minju's in this band, Blind Wolf, and you guys are taking off right now, and listening to your EP, I kind of noticed that, like, I was very stimulated throughout every song, and I noticed as I slowed down and saw your parts as you were playing, it's like you had some parts that were kind of similar to the other part but then they weren't and and they were somehow connected and it was always changing and then when i listen back i get it why i'm so stimulated there's always something different going on and so well,
1: thank you man but um i think that's also uh, when i told you about um, submitting my music to like metalcore playlists they don't like that you know they don't like shit that's no, not no they
0: want like a bullet from a valentine no tribune, not even that like... uh, they
1: just want like you know your typical not typical because like, i don't mean to talk badly on any of these bands and make it on these lists but they want your kind of like heavy parts that repeat and the scene parts that repeat and it's all kind of into the structure that you would listen and be kind of satisfying because you know in a sense like all parts belong where they're supposed to mm-hmm. but yeah that's something that i i feel like i battle with is you know there is that part where you know if i don't follow that there's a possibility that it becomes, re- like, I get a reception like that where someone thinks, oh, it's, like, kind of similar but doesn't really repeat but it all kind of works and it's stimulating or it's, like, dude, like, you don't really have a structure in your music, you know? And I see it both ways, you know, where uh, I think on the second EP that I'm working on uh, after this one is uh, I'm trying to focus more on that. So it kind of builds on me saying um, I th- like music where – you know you kind of dial back the technicalities and then kind of focus more on the impact and that's the kind of like approach that i'm trying to go with this second one is now that people you know like heard the music or hopefully they heard the music where it's structured like the way we talked about it and now it's you know giving them what we would sound like if we were to have that radio format yeah kind of radio
0: format for like metalcore and stuff yeah like but that.
1: then you know like i know it's so uh, like off-tasting to a lot of the you know, metalcore fans when bands kind of take that approach. But yeah, it's just like I'm not trying to be uh, having the singing chorus happen every time, but just structurally, instrumentally, that's what I'm focusing on. Mm-hmm. And just as an offset, I will have a song that's just like way more like extreme than the first to uh, first EP to kind of like show something else in the second EP, like I can mellow out and also go harder type thing. So yeah, so that's what i'm glad you noticed that you know that my uh way of writing on the first ep is yeah it just um it kind of i feel like it's uh, a lot like how my first band on the shoulders used to write music but just a little bit more technical but yeah i'm trying to write music that where you know it kind of covers a bigger spectrum without you know having the 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 label of selling out or whatever you know just because you switch the genre of music too drastically or whatever i have people i want it to be something where people get it and you're like all right like they try to change the music and it's different but not too different you know like that's yeah. that's the lane i'm trying to find right now
0: oh man yeah dude it's a really killer ep like,
1: thank you so much man
0: so i think i only met you and talked to you maybe one time yeah. ever and we played the show together in L.A., right?
1: Yeah, that was probably one of the funnest shows I've ever. That was such played. a crazy
0: show. You guys were so heavy, and at the time you're filling in for my boy Kevin. You yeah, were, you're playing guitar for Carried Weight. Yeah. So after, on the Shoulders, I'm assuming were you just like, was it kind of like purgatory for you? You're just not in the band for a while, or you kind of just jumped into Carried Weight, or?
1: Well, I think I joined Carried Weight at the end of On the Shoulders, but I realized, like you know, like that's when my drummer like like, pretty much quit, and, well, like, even before he quit, I saw, like, how the ship was sailing, kind of, and I wanted to be in an environment, kind of like how you said, you want to be in an environment where you're not being the decision maker, or the future of the project doesn't rely on your work ethic type thing, you know, and be in an environment where it's similar, where, you know, like, luckily it was similar, where it, it wasn't, like, starting a band from scratch, but you're also in this environment where it's new, and you don't really have to stress about writing music where the, the really stressful part about being in a band and just be a musician and just, you know, like, learn, take away I mean, try to take away whatever you can from that situation because it's so much different. And I, yeah, I did have a lot of fun and I feel like even though I wasn't really writing for the band, like, me writing, uh, learning Kevin's parts definitely got me out of my comfort zone a lot because he we have such a different style of writing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think when I went back to you know, being in this position where I'm like, all right, cool, like I had some time off, and now I'm kind of getting impatient where I think, you know, like doing something for myself is more in line with my skills and goals. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't realize how much that took away from playing a project like *Aired Waite, but I think my writing just became way better after learning someone else's part. So yeah, I mean, I think if I think about it, really, that's how I learned guitar is learning other people's songs, right? And Yeah, it's a little bit different than other instruments where you're not kind of, you don't really read music to learn, but it's the other way around where you learn how to play guitar and eventually you might learn how to read music. But some guitars never even learn how to read read music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you were in carried for maybe like one or two years. I think it was like three years, man. No,
0: three years. Yeah, man. I just, I, man, it's funny because like that show was like in the middle of like LA and like you wouldn't think there was a show going on there and like that was so crazy i remember it rained that day i'm just like fuck like carrying all the shit over there that's one thing i hate about shows or like don't you hate like just getting ready for the show and you're like fuck i gotta play and i want to play really good and then like the the strip down of just like fuck like i'm all tired sweating i gotta yeah, my cables <laughs> and then especially if you have pedals and shit like a oh, fuck I don't want to do all this like, yeah I think uh, it hits worst.
1: me the most right after the set where you know you're not the headliner and you have another band that's kind of like waiting for you to get out of the way and you just like you know hopefully you gave it all when you're performing and now you're like oh my fucking favorite part about being in a band right now I just gotta catch my breath like coil my strings put all my shit away and roll away all at once while I'm the most tired yeah. I can possibly be yeah and then, you know, it doesn't help when you have a fucking orange 4x12 and there's a huge staircase you have to take it down. You know?
0: Dude, tell, tell me why the orange 4x12 is the most awkward cap to carry. Like, uh, even a Mesa 4x12 doesn't feel as weird yeah. for some reason, but the orange feels like. I don't know. I hate it. I would yeah, just have someone else. It's help, a weird honestly.
1: distribution of weight, and it's really heavy. You know? Yeah,
0: dude. I don't miss that. I remember one time in Arizona, I filled in for uh, bass for this band, and I borrowed my buddy John's 8x10, and it was an <laughs> underground venue, dude, and I'm just <laughs> looking at the stairway like, fuck, like, I don't want to do this. Like I don't know if I ended up doing it or like borrowing somebody else's cab. Yeah, I was...
1: at that point, just borrow someone else's cab. You know?
0: <laughs> but I hate being that guy, dude. No one wants to be that guy. It's like, yo, dude. Or especially when they ask you when you're tearing down, like, hey, is it cool? Yeah. Like, well, oh, it's already right here. Like, <laughs> I, guess. I guess. I have no you're... choice. <laughs> yeah. Dude, like, being a... Oh, fuck. What was it? My drummer at the time lend Lionheart his ride cymbal for a set, right? And he used it as a crash. <laughs> and... No fucking lie, he got that right back cracked.
1: (laughs) That's the worst, man. Dude, yeah, I think uh, one thing to one funny thing to think about is, um, uh, for a drummer to just maintain the shit that he has uh, for a year, insane is the same cost for uh, like guitarists or basses like forever cost. You know, yeah, just like a one-year subscription to be you know drummer not even improve on your gear just to keep your shit the same it costs like annually i think it comes out about the same amount that you have to invest as a guitarist or bassist yeah like crazy if
0: if one of our wires like messed up we just get it fixed but if you crack your cymbal it's done
1: Yeah, buy a cymbal and it's supposed to crack you know like that's the idea you're hitting it you know like it's gonna crack you gotta buy heads you gotta buy a pedal, you might need to buy a little spring for your pedal if it breaks, you know.
0: Yeah, nothing nothing compared to drums. I, I gotta hand it to a man. Yeah, like,
1: even sticks are I can I imagine to be way more expensive than buying picks or strings, you know. Oh, for sure. It's a money pit, man.
0: Yeah. It's fucking money pit, dude. I
1: think you have to really love playing drums to play drums.
0: What what also is crazy is that the resale value is so shot. <laughs> like you could sell a guitar and you could sell like you sold your gifts and you could get like what, like, 600 to 800 yeah, maybe maybe yeah yeah maybe but you sell your whole fucking kit with stands <laughs> with the symbols for maybe <laughs> six to eight hundred yeah. and that's like dude that's g's we're talking about like oh man it's yeah awful. and
1: plus it takes up a lot of space so it's the easiest for you to be like fuck this man i don't i'm gonna sell all this shit and make room at least you know? yeah man. <laughs>
0: it's it's a shitty part when i moved in here i was like cool like i could have my drum set there and then thinking about the next part of my life is probably an apartment with somebody so like where do i put that thing <laughs> and i'm not gonna play it and I'm then can't you, man, it. even
1: the electronic kit inside the apartment your neighbor's gonna be like what are you doing up there are you like working out no. yeah
0: no because <laughs> all you
1: hear is a thut, thut from the bass drum you yeah from like... the bass drum and it's
0: all like not even <laughs> yeah. like a, it doesn't even sound cool Oh
1: man! Yeah, I actually have that problem right now. I live in an apartment, and I have the kind of similar to the electronic kit that you have. It's like a Roland kit. Uh-huh. Got it off like some mom on Craigslist who didn't even know what brand it was. And I'm like, damn, you're selling a Roland for like 180. You know, like you, you probably have like a little kid, as like a little son who bought it and got excited and got over it. You know, typical story. And I show up, and yep, that's exactly what it was. You know, <laughs> and I got excited. And I start playing it. I actually have it hooked up to like the ggd modern and massive like i was
0: going to say do you write your drums like that like, no i
1: don't i try i mean that was the idea i thought that would be like my next step you know like being able to record MIDI drums that way but you know after one day my neighbor was like hey, it's kind of loud dude and i'm like god damn it you know? like i'm no way yeah it's i'm not loud? even i'm not well they just hear the oh, over okay. and over you know i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. so i mean i already asked the dudes from the brewery and we have couple drummers there and i was like what if i bring this over here it was a lot of space and like yeah, they're super stoked so that's gonna be what i what i do i think i'm gonna set up my kit in one of the rooms at the brewery dude that is so cool (laughs) your job is so cool and then gonna tell them hey if you want to play the kids in there
0: yeah dude that that is fucking tight they don't they don't trip on you recording like in general like when you did vocals or something or like is that does that pierce through the walls when you play guitar loud or vocals loud? It's just the kick that was bothering them?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's just because, you know, like it's it's like a pad and then it's the same velocity as if you're hitting a bass drum. And then even though it doesn't have the acoustics to make like a physically loud noise, I think the vibration kind of just like, tra- like travels through the walls or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe they were being kind of picky, but I was playing for like two hours, you know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> and mind you, I'm not very good, so it was definitely not enjoyable for their Sunday. Sunday afternoon. Yeah, no. they they learned the song before you did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like at so, fucking play it right.
0: <laughs> no damn dude. So, so after carried weight, it's crazy that you tell me that um, in your previous band, the guy who kind of like the brains of the band, which is also interesting because over the years meeting other bands, I kind of come to realize that there is somebody usually just the brains are behind the whole scheme of things and if they're out of the band it's like the band is completely
1: missing yeah i think thing. i mean it goes both ways i've met bands that are very uh every member has a hand in everything especially in like creating the music and you know they i can see in their um just dynamics that they don't feel like awkward or are scared to hurt each other's feelings they just are very good about bouncing ideas off of each other to create one one thing. And I think that ultimately will be, uh, I mean, I think that just lends so much more power and creativity to the writing. But yeah, I think every project that I've been a part of has been always one guy who's the brains and you're totally fucked if, he, if he's gone. And But also, if you are that guy and you care about it that much, um, for your band to you know succeed, that means you don't like there, no one else really has to worry about that, you know, because in the first place you're kind of care enough to take a responsibility by yourself, and then hire people on after that. Yeah, I think that's the only way it's not gonna be something that's um, you know some that that's the only way there's gonna be longevity to that because you know if the person who's the brains um, for the project isn't really, you know, fully invested in it, then that's clearly not as efficient as a band, four dudes or five dudes who are on the same page about everything, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, Me and my buddy John always talked about when we were in the band, it kind of always felt like everyone gets in this car, but no one's in the driver's seat or nobody wanted to be in the driver's seat. And Yeah, I think just, that's tough too, right? Yeah, it's hard because you're just kind of like, I think being the decision maker is it puts a lot of like weight on you and stuff
1: especially if it comes to you without you know you signing up for it really it's just like god damn it yeah and it's like it it came down to this you know (laughs) Yeah, it's like
0: i really want to do this so like i just have to put a little bit more effort and then maybe it'll be detrimental to you i think later in the long run um but it's crazy some bands are just like that but then you got the bands who are like genuinely like everyone plays a part and to me it's funny because i like watching bands and like seeing that chemistry like, sometimes you see it, or sometimes you didn't even know. Like, um, there was this band called, they're a metal band called Artistea. I don't know if you remember them. Wow. They're, like, uh, progressive, technical. They're really, really good. And uh, I didn't know that the drummer was writing the guitar riffs.
1: Yeah, that's the craziest, I think. Yeah. Uh, Polaris is like that, too, apparently. And their guitar riffs, like, I can barely play them, you know? Like, uh-huh and it's to hear this drummer that comes with up with the main ideas that's always the most mind-blowing for me but also I learn from a drummer I think you know so I think it does give you an edge of like having that mindset of always knowing how a drum will sound over the part you know first of all that's a huge advantage and second of all not writing shit that's going to sound weird drums you know? like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh it, it's it's weird man i feel like
1: you always as a drummer when you write music on guitar you're in the perspective of making sure it sounds good with the drum mm-hmm. so it kind of eliminates a lot of the problems that guitarists like only guitar like musicians that are only like guitarists face you know just they might come up with a cool guitar but then no one like might be a situation where no one knows what to do with it on the drums you know or it kind of takes you to a different direction than you think and you keep working on the song and it keeps going to this weird direction. So what's going to happen? You listen to the whole thing. You're like, all right, it's not good. You know, like, <laughs> I think I've traveled down that path so many times, you know? Yeah, it, that sucks.
0: And uh, there's been like, what I thought it was funny about like the heavy scene of Metacore and like coming into it, I kind of like, I kind of realized that there's these kind of like unspoken guidelines and it doesn't make it fun. And it's so easy to care what other people think, especially when you go play and, like, people are not going crazy for you. Like, what do you think? Like, they're not having a good time or (laughs) something, right? Or, like, writing music and being like, well, we can't really do that because that's not heavy enough. Or, like, they're not going to like that. And just, like, I don't know, man. Something about that is just, I I don't know. I think it's hard to write to. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's just, like, so many rules where, like, well, you didn't think about that, but now you are because another person who's kind of like watching over your shoulder is saying this. And I think that is the difficult part where the bad part about having so many people be a part of the writing process is for me personally, even though I'm very jealous of those bands who have that kind of chemistry where it doesn't feel like everything is on you. Sometimes the idea that you're trying to get out. doesn't
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> How do you even say Yeah. He's, he's the other guy. <laughs> he, he's a, he's a barker.
1: Similar to my dog, oh, really? Yeah,
0: it just like a him... black lab on
1: that size. We'll just let
0: him bark it out. Yeah, I think he's half lab, half Jack Russell. Oh, shit. yeah, he might have I take a piss real quick. Yeah, yeah, take a a quick it. pause. Yeah. For me, when I go on YouTube and I get recommended, if I love the artwork off the bat, I'm like, I'm gonna fucking check it out. Yeah, that's why I think artwork is so important, it's just so visual appealing. Yeah, I feel like maybe there's even some bands I don't even like as much. It's just Seeing the artwork is like I don't know, I don't know. It no gives it a honestly bumper. man
1: that's what I think I learned a lot from working like not even being responsible for that kind of stuff, but beer it's a lot like music where it's like there's a the product which is beer or music you know like how it tastes or how it sounds, but there's always an artwork for it, like the face for it, and there was always got to be a name for it you know, mm-hmm. and all three of them have a big role um, and a lot of musicians think music is like the biggest role it's like if it's sick bro they're gonna hear it they're gonna listen to it you know but that's not the case i don't think you know it's Uh,
0: that and the whole marketing and just and who you know man because there's a lot of bands that like i do come across and it's so in your face or promoted and i'm like this is cool i see what you're going for but there's nothing different to it there's nothing that's standing out to it or makes you like like the whole new metal wave and stuff like there's some bands that want to sound like lincoln park and stuff and it's like it's cool you got the face you got the image but when it, when am i ever personally gonna feel like oh yeah i want to listen to that band
1: <laughs> well i mean i think it's very off like off-putting when uh um i'm not trying to put any bands on blast here but yeah, when definitely. smaller bands um clearly like the amount of streams that don't don't reflect how much people care about their music you know uh and then they say stuff like we're so humbled that we have a million streams on our song or whatever and you check out their spotify and then you see one song with like 700,000 plays and then the rest of the songs they say less than a thousand like how does that look to your fellow musicians who are trying to get the good reception from your music they clearly see through that and then now you're saying you're so humbled that we got this support we see through that too you know i think it's like there's the music industry with you know like right now obviously it's really fucked with like everything being closed down but also it's so fucked with you know people wanting to have you know like an image of their music where it's you know like it has a certain amount of streams and you know, bands are supposed to earn that, you know? Like, you can't just pay someone, and then you know, it's like a bot that just fucking plays your music all the time. It's like yet. buying followers. It's the same thing, but I think it's even worse, don't you? Like, I think... Um, oh, yeah,
0: it's, it's. I don't think it's gratifying, too. Like, at the end of the day, are are you really going to feel accomplished or really feel like damn people really like my music no it's just more of this image thing like like how you said like even with instagram you could have like let's say 50k followers you're like oh shit wow this band is something but then you look at their content and only 20 people like it or something like that like that doesn't add up to me and it just shows like you're just doing it for all the wrong reasons you know
1: i think the better image is when a band has a really small following as a huge engagement you know doesn't that look better yeah, definitely. Right? <laughs>
0: definitely. And it it's crazy. Like, there's some bands that I'm pretty sure you've come across these bands that, like, you listen to them and you're like, fuck, this is so cool. And they're like nobody. Yeah. They're fucking nobody. And it's like, why? I don't understand. And, but those, I feel like those are the bands that, like, really have that real connection to a fan, to the band, where, in the end of the day, maybe they're not anybody, but, like, in the end of the day, their songs are being, like, brought out in people's lives and they're like connecting to it in a way stronger way than yeah just and even play. if
1: it's fewer people it has a more of a lasting impact you know where they're gonna remember you or be excited you know
0: yeah definitely like man that song was sad as shit man i love it Like, and bro. there's
1: also that gratifying part of i think at least for me is finding bands that are really good before they blow up and watching that progress all <laughs> happen you know yeah. like that's so cool for me. I think uh, there's a couple of bands that happened to me. Um, Counterparts is one of them. I found their music on MySpace, uh-huh. and I was like, "This is so cool," you know. And like, they come to play in Anaheim. It was a place called Mirror Image Studios. I don't know if you ever played there, dude. It's I a super high stage. Where
0: where was it at? What
1: do you mean? It the, was in Anaheim. Oh, but I don't uh, know where though. It's not a oh, venue anymore. Did they have a
0: big like backdrop thing?
1: Backdrop, and it was just awkwardly tall where everyone had to look up like this and your feet are like right there what
0: yeah i think i know what you're talking about i've seen a video of it never been there though
1: well i played a handful of shows there oh. um uh, and uh <laughs> so counterparts was touring with like Shy lu dead icons and, and some other bands um it was just like, just like an impressive package you know like where the fuck is this venue but all these bands are like pretty good are coming through and you know, it was my first time to see counterparts and on the shoulders got on that show and i was like dude this is so cool i shit you not my band was the only one that was watching counterparts man there's no one there what year was this <laughs> um i don't know it's like came up on my facebook memories but it was like one of the first shows i played was With, this like when they
0: had the prophets album
1: this is no they just put out their second album the current Iker Whoa, Ikeros, okay, uh-huh. and, and i don't think it got a good reception and they're touring for that album and i don't think i like it now but i don't think i liked it as much as profits when and that's how i found them and they played like two songs of profits and everything else was new uh-huh. yeah and it was just like a weird thing where i'm um, like damn i thought this band would have been huge and they're not you know like no one cares about them and then sure enough you know like a they,
0: little bit, dude yeah and then they were playing here all the time yeah. and every and i would go all the time because i love counterparts yeah. um I felt like... It's funny you say that, because I felt like that with that second, uh, second album, too. I was like, I love profits." I don't know how I feel about this one. And then they came out with the difference between Hell and nah, Hell. That was my favorite, for sure. That's my favorite. Yeah. I, I will never forget. I went to my friend's house, who lived a block away from me, and we're just smoking weenies. Like, dude, you want the new uh, uh Counterparts album? I was like, sure. I haven't heard it. And I was walking back home, just faded as shit. And like... I I heard the first song "Lost" and I just remember being like slapped in the fucking yeah. face of how good that song was and the production
1: then, was just like miles better than the last everything. two albums too. Yeah, you know?
0: everything about that album for me, and I think till today that's my most favorite album by them. Yeah, and me too. Yeah, I I just love that thing, dude. And I
1: think especially in the vocals, man. Like uh, Brendan's vocals, to be honest, sounded kind of rough on the first two albums in a way where third album like there is some kind of like effect with reverb or something where it really brings out his tone and it mm-hmm. sounds really good yeah. i think even though it's it's the same kind of scream same guy but that effect on the um, on the vocals made it so much better and uh i think the drummer uh that joined for that album he's from one of my favorite bands they're called dead and divine um, okay there's a smaller canadian band uh and uh he Obviously, didn't rip as like crazy as uh, the first Asian drummer that I'm like. Oh wait,
0: this drummer, his name's Kelly. Kelly, yeah, yeah. Well, my roommate, he plays drums and he's into the scene too. He always talks about that's his favorite drummer from Counterparts for sure. And his parts were very like, how, like they very weren't simple. crazy, yeah. simple. But where he decided to hit things and decided to go with it really made the fucking song.
1: Yeah, I mean, apparently, like I so like i uh i met him a couple times at counterpart shows and i you know i told him that i really like his old bands and like you know like kind of fanboying a little bit and then start following him a little bit but apparently there's like huge beef between him and the band you know oh, like, really yeah it's like crazy beef where like they're saying like if you support this guy like fucking don't listen to my band and like <laughs> the drummer like and kelly he's he came on instagram and saying like back when drummers had a groove and not a semi-popular twitch account and he tags the new drummer and count- it's like some kind of petty shit where i'm like i think that was the weirdest thing about counterparts to me is like they were always so low-key about their members and like their um, like first like i don't know like personal business that you'll see new people in the band that they don't say anything about it and mm-hmm. it's like it happens over and over again and then for kelly like he got kicked out of nowhere and then no statement from the band at all and then it's just like news saying like yeah he got accused of like like domestic violence but then how come the band isn't saying anything about it you know and then like years later this is like petty shits going on yeah. where you're like this is really weird you know like if you kind of like, you know like be are transparent about it, i mean i get it like you don't want to like air out your dirty laundry and there's like a fine line with that with with bands and how you choose to announce what's going on with that aspect of your project but if you kind of just leave everyone like in the dark and have them like kind of talk about it amongst themselves that's i think that's gonna cause way more unnecessary bullshit yeah, cause than people
0: could say something that was so like extreme and people would be like oh dude so and so said this, yeah, this and this i happened. think the and only thing the band
1: it. is thinking about that point is like why are you talking about it You respect our privacy dude you know, like that's not gonna happen man like
0: it's out there yeah
1: I, <laughs> dude, people, people know <laughs> like they're not gonna go out of their good conscience to go like all right even though this is really bothering me and like i'm curious mm-hmm. about it I know he's going to be weird about it if I ask about it. So, like, that just creates some weird shit, I think. You know know
0: what else is weird? And I've seen this with two cases of uh, my good friends and other bands that I've met is when members are completely not original at all, but they take the name and they take it to another level or they just piggyback off everything from before.
1: I was thinking about that yesterday. Dude,
0: that... It sucks because I've seen it from my homies and for them to happen... It's funny. I have like one where my homie's the hurt one. It was his band, but then they recruited another homie of mine that decided to carry it on. And seeing both aspects, just like I, I don't know. That's so not right, man. Like, and and just some bands are just like, dude, just start all over. It's I like,
1: think the prime example to talk about is of mice and men. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? It's uh, I I heard their new song actually just yesterday. I think it was called obsolete, and it's it's not bad at all. I mean, they went through couple of different styles I feel like but it's definitely one of those things where the initial blow up of that project is kind of what's carrying on that project now you know definitely and uh, yeah it's like now you listen to it and you're like man, eh, it's pretty cool it's not bad but if it didn't have the name of Mice and Men behind it would it mm-hmm. actually have this kind of reception you know and like I'm not trying to knock knock them for that because they are great musicians and I, from what I hear they're they're good people but is that gratifying for you as as a musician to know that you're piggybacking some kind of like relevance because of the name that it used to, ha- used mean, to have for a yeah. group of people that aren't you guys, you know, like, how do you break out of that? I'm like, I feel like if I was in that position, that would be something that I have no idea how to break out of you know? yeah. or just have to kind of accept that your success isn't just measured by purely your work, you know, you kind of have to accept that, right?
0: yeah but then i mean well the example of a mice Man, everyone's kind of original except but see that's the thing with them they gradually became who they are now right because yeah. the guy was just playing strictly bass for a while
1: and singing because they lost their clean singer yeah and he was the one that was doing that yeah. yeah
0: and his vocals were so badass i remember that first album just yeah. being like so sick so yeah they kind of gradually got to that point and just it is impressive though
1: right it. like that one guy covers both roles while playing bass now yeah. While it, kinda still making pretty good music, you know? Like,
0: yeah. He his old band was Jamie's Elsewhere, right? Yeah. I remember just being like uh you come across to me as a most like more post hardcore dude, and I felt like I'm kinda like that too. Like me and my homies were all like we weren't as heavy as people thought we were like kinda into. Like me and my, my drummer were really into like or last night, like their first album and a Mice and Man like a Day to Remember and yeah, shit like I, I can that. Connect, I can connect with that, yeah. That was my shit. Uh, one of my favorite bands of all time is a band called Oceana from Florida. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of them.
1: Oceana, right? Yeah, a, with well, an A. Yeah, yeah. Someone was trying to show me, uh someone told me, show me them while I was showing them my music that they, it reminds me them of that band and i was like oh, i can see where where they're coming from yeah that band i thought that's said oceano and i was like dude oceano is yeah, like no, no that, no, not that shit's heavy as fuck
0: <laughs> i remember uh i was you know that band traders uh yeah. they're from florida and uh one time we did a tour with them and like they were telling me how they love oceano i think it was a guitar player he was telling me that oh yeah it's like dude i love oceano and i remember Going to see him at a show here in Florida, and it turned out to be Oceana and then I was like, "What the fuck is this shit? It's like not heavy at all." <laughs> and I was just like, and then and then me in my head is like, "Dude, I have an Oceana CD in the tour van right now, and I'm not even act like I love Oceana You just you just shat
1: on it so yeah, bad. like as soon as I turn on my car, I'm gonna hit the volume button. so it goes off. doesn't play. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's like a weird thing, you know, because like. The sh- shit that we like, uh, if we show it to just, like, your normal people, then they're gonna be like, oh, you like you like that really heavy stuff, huh? Like, oh, like, I can kind of appreciate it, but whatever, whatever, how they go about it. But then, for me, that's how it was, right? And like, I was always, like, the guy that likes the heavy metal, dude, like, you know, and then i have to kind of just listen to the music that they play, and just like, yeah, this is cool, and it's like, <laughs> even though I'm not into it I know that I'm, like, the heavy metal guy, so, like... You know, I'm not gonna, like, be like, oh, this isn't metal, and like, say it's, it's shit like that, but, all that.
0: Like, basically, being what they're being to how heavy metal, like, my biggest pet peeve is, like, showing, I don't ever put on metal if I know the person does not listen to metal. I just don't fucking do that. Yeah. But, like, I'm not gonna be a snot when you play EDM and be like, yo, what the fuck is this shit, <laughs> or, like, I don't get it, like. Some people just are no filter when it comes to that genre. And it's like, like my best friend, like he would show other people the bands I've been in. And I only would show, it's funny, like me at work in general, like I don't tell people I'm in a band unless I know you're into that music. I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm in a band. And we're, you know, this kind of music. But my friend, he is so good at mixing worlds, his work friends with his friends that just you shouldn't just invite them you know they're not gonna click together <laughs> yeah. it's not gonna be a good time so he's that same guy and he will be uh yo show him your band we'll be out there like <laughs> show him your band i'm like dude like they didn't even listen to that stuff and like no it's okay show show me your band and then it's that it's the heaviest thing and they're like what the fuck and i'm like bro this is so uncomfortable yeah at least i mean that's uncomfortable
1: <laughs> but at least that's like a reaction my you know like every musician talks about it but it's the worst when you're in that situation where you know you're going out of a limb to show something that you probably know they're not going to appreciate that well. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, this is cool, man. This reminds me of <laughs> like the whole the whole time. And you're like, "Okay, like, so you hear that part?" Like, oh, like and then the song ends like, "Oh yeah, that's pretty cool, man." You know, I think just having no response of you seeing them like paying attention to it and then having like a weird response and having some superficial like interaction like that that's probably my least favorite part about being in a band or playing music just like making conversation about being in a band and how cool it is but you can clearly tell like they don't get it you know (laughs) like this is a waste of time of me feeling uncomfortable like maybe if they felt super uncomfortable like hearing this is really heavy it kind of leaves the impression like yeah that guy makes like some crazy stuff man and like that's better than just like oh yeah that guy was in a band man like it's pretty cool like uh.
0: that is true that is true <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen in that perspective like they're blown away of how crazy it is and they're kind of stoked on it or like, <laughs>
1: well, not even if it's not stoked it's like yeah i don't know like i don't know how i feel about that you know like i kind of like that reaction more than just like you know like hey bro that was sick man like you play metal huh like,
0: you know, don't <laughs> to, bro don't lie to me <laughs> you don't have to like it on spotify in front of me right but
1: yeah so i come from that and then me uh when i got hired at the brewery like in the front like in the tap room like the beer tenders they don't really listen to heavy metal or anything but if you go back to the brew house and the cellars all the brewers they're into like extremely heavy metal music where if I try to show them my shit, it's just simply not heavy enough for them. <laughs> you know, like, so <laughs> that's it. weird too. You know? That, yeah, <laughs> that is
0: weird when you are not heavy enough.
1: And I'm like, what I'm tr- I'm trying to sell my. Sh- I mean, trying to do some cold sales for uh, my merch for my new project, and then yeah, I felt more comfortable um, selling my shirts to the guys who aren't into the really heavy stuff because they know that I do this and I do the cellaring work at the brewery to be able to do this. So they respect the grind, and even if they don't, you know, like, like, like the music, or you know, like, get the reception that I want out of them, like they'd still buy a shirt. They go out of their way, and be like, hey, let me get a shirt, you know. But these really heavy metal brewers, where I'm like, yeah, I'm not even gonna ask them. <laughs> I felt more pressure from those guys than the guys who don't listen to heavy metal music when it came to like showing them my stuff. Where I'm like fuck man like i know they like heavy metal but like my shit's like soft metal like for them you know like yeah. that's no like shit like that or like i don't know like
0: yeah th- th- where's the blast beats
1: yeah it's like how come you're how come you can read your logo how come it doesn't look like a bunch of sticks and branches you know? yeah. <laughs> i remember like one of the brewers when i just got brought on to the brewing team um he was like hey you going to malone's i'm like what the fuck like you know about malone's like what's playing there and he's like Ingested dude. I'm like, wow, oh, that sounds really heavy, man. I Probably won't be there, you know? <laughs> I look it up and it's a bunch of fans with and the ball. They logos. all like the same yeah And you can't or, read every yeah. every single one. You know, like you know it's ingested because you said he said it's ingested playing. Like, okay, that looks like ingested, you know?
0: <laughs> Dude, fucking Malone's man. I, I played Malone's too many times than i should have yeah no, me too <laughs> no. well for me i played there three times but the first time we played there you played there three times that's yeah. a lot dude.
1: i played there like 40 times man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why i was like i was like i heard your band before i feel like it's like the a malone's like you guys yeah we're malone, a Mo- malone like, core man malone, <laughs> malone core yeah. i, I live there like
1: on the same street You know, <laughs> you that like, was book- the funnest thing man like, when i lived there and we'd have malone's show and i just wake up at the lockout space i'm like ah dude I just got to drag my shit over there and we got to show, him. You know? Yeah. Rockstar life, man. Dude, fucking
0: Malone's, man. And I, I'm not bashing on Malone's or anything, but like I played there. We played there one time and I remember we all like put our stuff in the parking lot and we all went up to each other and just like, we're never playing here again. <laughs> and it wasn't even like... A bad show, it was more of like we hated the sound, or we just hated the vibe of it. It was just a weird kind
1: of vibe. It's a weird vibe, and the sound guy was, uh, yeah, the sound guy would not do sound and be at the bar during bands. Like, he, from what I noticed, he just, no, like, he makes sure that things are on, and he doesn't balance the sound. He goes to the bar and drinks, and this has happened when On the Shoulders was playing, and my friend Cameron, he was going to school for audio engineering so he was very keen to pick things up when someone's not doing their job and then he just looks over and he's like he's like shakes his head he's like he's fucking hammered dude i
0: was hoping that you were gonna say that he hopped on the fucking he, board. Did. he oh, did he did he did dude yes a
1: couple times he did yeah it was, was for <laughs> was for i Have helix's like couple last shows uh-huh. where like you know that's where my vocalist is from and that's also the guitarist like they recorded all our shit for on the shoulders so we have a history with that band and you know from him like you can tell like he wants to send them off the right way if it's gonna be their last show and the sound guy is a fucking motherfucker from malone's you know so yeah i told him like i got this (laughs) he got on the board
0: Dude, that is so funny. Did he, like, see him do his job and just not give a shit even then?
1: Yeah, like, he's just like, oh, whatever. All right, whatever oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember he, t- uh, what's it called? We were playing a show, and my other guitarist's amp took a shit, and then we had to, like, ask someone in the crowd for their amp. And then it was, like, a line six spider head. Yes. And, then, and it was just so noisy, you know? And then we set it up, and you can all you hear is... And the guy, I shoot you now, and he's like, uh, can you turn down the squeak, please? <laughs> and then, I swear, like, I, I was too young or whatever to pick up, like, the, the, the shade of that comment. But I just look back, and my guitarist is fucking, like, he's about to lose his shit. It's like, yeah, bro, like, let me fucking turn down the squeak down. There's a squeak knob here. It's a line six, you know? Like, yeah, the squeak's down. Is that better, bro? <laughs>
0: Try the squeak on green. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> line six, man, <laughs> fucking. Uh, you you remember that band Destruction of a King? Yeah, the guitar- I think uh, the,
1: everyone in my band in that old band like really liked those guys. Oh, I did too. Yeah. Dude.
0: They were so good, man. My uh, I got to know George. Maybe. What's the
1: second? Uh, what's the new band called again? Lolo. Lolo. Yeah, that that's sick too. They're, yeah, yeah, they're
0: dope too. Did you go to their show at Malones? I think their first show was at Malones. No,
1: I don't. I didn't go, but I li- definitely listened to their EP a couple of times, and yeah, and there's a lot of cool songs on there.
0: Yeah, they're sick. Uh, George is. Well, he's in the band and in low love. I remember one time uh, we played together and he borrowed someone's line six half stack. And I, when I met him and after we were cool, I gave him shit about that. And he's like, but did it sound good? And I was like, yeah, you made it sound pretty good, actually. <laughs> so like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I ain't tripping. So I'm assuming you met uh, Diego who plays drums for Blind Wolf. Did you meet him through Carried Weight? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah. so, so were you writing the EP... Was this one of the things that were kind of like in the back burner and you were playing Carried Weight and slowly doing it? exactly. And then yeah, kind of exactly. did, did it a lot more when uh, you kind of stopped doing Carried Weight?
1: Um, well, yeah, in a sense where, uh, well, see, Kevin was very cool about me working on my own stuff while I was being in the band. Uh, and I just kind of worked on it for a while. And I told him it's going to be something that I was going to do, like besides Carried Weight, which, I mean, it ended up, me kind of leaving so I can focus on this only really because, like I said, my my skills and goals like are more aligned with working for myself. I thought, but yeah, I was uh, I joined carried weight. It was the funniest stuff part about joining carried weight was uh I was already friends with Cole from Mother Sound from my old band, yeah. And then Kevin told me there was another guitarist, but he didn't tell me who. And then I <laughs> just show up to practice. I'm like, no, oh, Cole. what the fuck, you know, it's you, Cole. And then um yeah, so. Him and I got along. He, we still get along pretty, like, really well. He's but, so
0: nice, dude. I filmed him for M- uh, Mother Sound one time, and I went to his house in Pasadena, and he's yeah. such a nice... I know, I know. guy. he's, dude.
1: like, a, I don't know, like, always happy, or like, I mean, he does obviously get sad, just like everyone else, but, yeah, it's just, uh, every time I meet him, it's just, like, he's it, like his smile just, like, brightens up my day, you know, he, like... He, <laughs> he, he
0: was even inviting me to his Halloween parties. Yeah, I'm, he's really into, like, yeah, Halloween yeah, and, and stuff like that, yeah. and, like, he, uh... Like, I wouldn't even really talk to him that much at that point. One time he's like, "Dude, I'm having a Halloween party come through," and I was closing cheesecake. He's like, "Bring your friends. I don't fucking care." <laughs> and like, brought in like three, four fucking people just at his pad. Just yeah, so yeah, nice. his
1: house is so. His uh, his mom is like one of the coolest moms I think. You know, <laughs> she uh, like it, this was after I left. Carried Wade, but um, she made like a Tim Burton like. Uh, animation type thing for carried weight where we all look like a Tim Burton character. And, no yeah, way! It's like a little poster that's framed, and then that's last time I cool. met Cole, uh, he's my barber as well. <laughs> so like when I was cutting, he's like, "Oh yeah, like my mom made a bunch of these. If you want to take one." And I just thought, and I was like, "This is so funny, you know." <laughs> is <so> tight, dude. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I met Diego through carried weight, and um, when I met Cole for my first practice with them, they had a different drummer, which ended up not working out, and then we got Diego and yeah I, I i love diego but when i first met him he, like he was I, I, he was really shy and really quiet so i didn't know like how he felt about everything but i he uh the more we played I, like i got really comfortable with him it's always like you know like if you meet people that are not like you there's always like you talk to them and then you kind of realize like the way they talk and then you kind of talk more like them and i don't know that kind of stuff like that happened to me in diego where i realized like he's kind of quiet and shy but as soon as he got comfortable he was you know he was a really cool guy and you know he i don't i don't know it's kind of weird because like he's still in care weight and i'm not and i don't want it to be weird for him at all <laughs> but, uh,
0: <laughs> he's like that uh child in a divorce or what i <laughs> yeah, i guess right <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know like i know uh my like he wasn't cared when he wants to be like you know very present for Caredway and i don't want to take it away from them but now it's like the situation where i'm like yeah like i don't want to ask too much from him at the same time because you know like i know he plays for the band that i used to play for and you know like we're kind of sharing him you know so <laughs> we're, at, we're at that and also uh the the guitarist i try to try out was really good friends with diego and i don't know like i just feel like i f- kind of feel bad in a way where i kind of signed him up to
0: dude you're wrecking homes yeah dude. exactly <laughs> like, i'm not trying to wreck
1: any homes but yeah diego if you hear this ever i fucking love you i'm sorry
0: <laughs> just a home wrecker, dude. yeah I, I was fucking around everything at this point yeah so
1: like home. i said um he definitely did his own thing to a lot of the drums differently but i already gave it to him with the kind of just what i imagine the drums to be and i don't know like i for me i know it's not going to sound like that but when i write drums to something like i want it to be kind of closer to that because i've had experiences where um (laughs) my first drummer you know like even though he taught me everything and we'd write the media drums together and then we would go to record the drums and you would play something that's you know like not totally different but then it kind of just misses all the the i don't know like specific parts that's supposed to do a something thing like something with the guitar at those parts to make make it cool and then it's just like a rock beat that plays over it you know like i always i've always like hated that how like you think you're putting in so much work making writing the song and then you record it, and the drums are just the parts aren't as cool you know but you kind of kind of take it with a grain of salt too because like the parts that you know like are written as meaty drums can't always be like that per se like you said like there's the situations where you have like you need three arms to do it or you know (laughs) so like you kind of have to accept that it's gonna sound different but that's where a lot of the work comes from i think because i have the guitar written and the bass written and they're both recorded too so now we're recording drums and then i do vocals after that so drums are pretty much like the final aspect of the instrumentals and uh, it's very stressful for me because I know um, I'm not playing the drums, but I, I'm supposed to keep track of what the midi drum sounded like versus what the drummer is actually playing. And I have to be the mediator of like, all right, like that part can be different or the part after that was supposed to sound like something else has to stay in there. And as a drummer, you don't really think about that. If you aren't writing the parts, you know, if you are given music and you're supposed to learn it, you're gonna learn it kind of close but you don't think about the intricacies as much as the creator so i would you know like that would be the part that's the most stressful for me like i said where like i don't know if i'm just tripping where you know
0: well when you hear something for so long after a while it's built into you that i'm so used to that part sounding like this there shouldn't be any other way
1: yeah so that's that's another aspect of it you know so there's a lot of aspects of of how to handle that situation but yeah, it just come i think uh Diego and I at the end we come to i we come to like a good' I don't know, agreement i guess of like a blend of both you know, like Diego's changed it enough where it's not like the mini drums and i it's close enough for me where it's you know like it's close enough in an aspect where you know, like I'm gonna be satisfied, but also there's like you said there's the different aspect where it might go underappreciated because you are so used to listening to the part how it was and yeah so the only thing you can do at that point is honestly just listen to it after right and then it sucks but you might have to like either re-record it which is very unlikely for any bands in my scale right go back to studio set everything back up to fix one thing No, like you can like maybe remove something sample it in and make it really hard for yourself you know but then it's a learning experience you know where that goes into you know how i would write the drums after so when stuff like that happens to me and I'm writing music, I it inspires me. I'm like, I want to write drums that's like Diego, you know, like that he he's gonna hear and he's gonna be like, yeah, this is what I would do, you know. So I try to keep that in mind. And yeah, my if I want to talk, if, if I could talk about my vocalist a little bit, um, he is honestly my one of my favorite vocalists because he's like so good and so like he sounds so mean, and the style of music that he comes from is a little bit heavier, I think uh and yeah so that's what i've been trying to focus on like i know we talked about um my uh, second project my second ep that's gonna come out it's even though it is uh written in a way where it's structurally like easier to digest than the first ep i think in a lot of the ways um it also complements nathan's style so that's you know like so i think that's like the like the formula that i'm going for is even though it's more simply structured and I don't know in in ways it might even be like radio like it's also written in a way where it complements everyone sounds better and it's less of um even though it's me writing most of the music I'm taking with uh with the perspective of who's gonna be playing in and what kind of style they have and how um the platform that I'm bringing to them is is actually better than the first one you know so that's what I'm focusing on now
0: and uh when you got Nathan, he's your vocalist right yeah. Uh was that kind of something you always had, like an idea floating in your head, like kind of working but on this project and I want him and
1: uh he doesn't remember this, but uh when I have Helix his old band was not a thing anymore. And also around that time that's when On the Shoulders wasn't a thing anymore after a couple months, as soon as On the Shoulders was done, I was like, Alright, I'm still gonna do something, you know, like even though I was playing and carried weight, I was like, I know I have a couple music written and I, without even writing the music totally, I reached out to Nathan when we were hanging out one day. And I was like, how are you feeling about music? And he's like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'll probably do music eventually again. But right now, I'm really into the Contortionist, like, last album. And I was like, okay, I check it out. And it's, like, really mellow, and, like, atmospheric and yeah, all singing. New,
0: Their newer stuff is more like that. Did you ever get into that band?
1: No, not really. But he's really into that band. Dude, like, b- Between the Buried and Me and stuff to, like that. Listen uh, to
0: Exoplanet by the Contortionist okay it's, it's more heavier i think it's maybe their first full length you're gonna fucking
1: love it yeah 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 well like that's <laughs> when i like that's the only time i reached out to nathan right and then i realized all right cool like if he wants to do music again even though he's a really good like metal vocalist he wants to do something different you know so like when someone tells me stuff like that where it's like totally like a bigger picture and it's totally different i mean like, it's like a big picture that they're seeing and it's totally different i don't bother to like kind of be like hey like but I'm still doing this. Let me show you. Like, so I didn't like in, like entertain the idea, and yeah, I was you like, you
0: can't force somebody to really do it, and like in the long run, you want yeah. them to be about
1: it. Too. And back then, he was like getting hit up by bands like like Fallujah and like Lorna Shore, like to be their new vocalist. And then he was just like, no, nah, like I don't think I want to jump into like a project where it's already super successful and i'm the new guy and trying to make it work you know like coming from a band like i feel where he had a lot more control on you know mm-hmm. so i mean that's how he felt but then the only part he told me is like i'm trying to make music that's like this and i was like okay cool you're not the guy you know that's all i thought i forgot about him for years and then when i was finally done i found a vocalist and it just didn't work out like he sounded great but something with his technique where um he wouldn't be able to scream after one song like like your voice would be shot and we had such limited time in the studio i couldn't just meet up with him book time with the studio do one song and be shot and let's do it again next time like i expected him to scream five songs in like one in one day (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's crazy (laughs) that's insane i mean
1: well, not okay. like not finished, but then no, like I
0: get you, but to be a little bit more enduring, yeah, and have more stamina. Or, like, it, I definitely. didn't think
1: about him his voice being shot was like a factor that I have to deal with, you know. So, well,
0: I think definitely the level you're going at with this project, it's like you need somebody who has been involved, yeah, to, exactly. To pay, I think that's yeah. what it
1: is, you know, like it's like a part of being a project that's starting in the pandemic era, I guess, <laughs> but um, you know, like. Just because I know Diego and Nathan well enough as a musician like I feel like we haven't really done that many parts where you're supposed to do as a band to like get close to each other or spend time not doing music but every time we met was to like knock all these goals out and <laughs> now it's like I think you know like that comes with, with trust you know knowing your musicians you know instead of jumping into a project with someone you don't know it's someone that you know, even though you don't talk to them for even like over a week or two, like you know we're on the same page type of thing, and that's something that uh, I had to learn because being someone I think ultimately that cares about this project more than the other two that are in the project because I've been I I mean that's a bold thing to say I, I know but I feel like I just put in way more like as far as the time and the commitment to make this um, bring like come to life that um you know it's it's hard to you know like come to a balance where um yeah maybe like they don't care about this as much as i do and you i kind of struggle with that but i know they do and it kind of and it this whole thing wouldn't work out if i were jumping into uh jumping into it with dudes that i haven't worked before i guess so they are like a strong backbone where where even if i have doubts and stuff they are going to be there for me you know yeah and yeah it's it's i feel like it's a lot to ask for especially from Like from Diego, who is involved with, you know, like people who 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 might have been part of this project or been part of the project that we were both part of before, and and Nathan being like like a father of a child, where like can't really like ask too much time away from either of them, you know. So it has to do with this trust thing where I expect them to do their part at home, and when we meet up, like we're not learning stuff, you know, we're be here to because we practice at home and we don't meet up that many times or we haven't because of Mm -hmm. the things that have been going on so you know if you're not prepared then like that kind of trust kind of goes away type of thing you know but yeah i've been very lucky to have these guys as the backbone where i feel like i ask for a lot more than what they are you know they have the time for but they they continue to make time and make it work for me so yeah i'm very grateful for that and, yeah, very grateful that, you know, I've worked with these guys who are great musicians. Um, they're now, you know, being a part of my project. And, yeah, it's just, I, mean, I feel like you meet a lot of local musicians or local bands that are trying to do the exact same thing as you. And it's very rare that you come across individuals where, um you know, they they're a little bit more than that in your eyes, you know. And, yeah, I didn't really think about it like that, but, it's now it's like Nathan, the vocalist that I looked up for a long time was having to be my friend is now my in my project and Diego who's i think you know like made so many strides as a drummer as and now you know like he's part of many projects, and you know it's cool to have those guys in my arsenal, not to long story short <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that's cool it's like you kinda like uh slowly manifested it you really wanted it, and then now it's reality, yeah, how you guys are doing it, so you guys are gonna drop a uh... Your full EP. I know you guys have "Poison Will" out right now, um, which is a really tight single. Uh, what's going to be the next one?
1: It's called "Revival" and it features Rory from Dayseeker, and um, that's probably um, our lead single, I guess, because our EP that's going to be dropping is going to be titled "Revival." And what's I think is very special about this EP is it compassing it um, has a lot of guest features that um a lot of you know people would be excited about and also accomplishes so much more than what i could have done just with me i mean just having nathan to do vocals as a whole thing is it's like the greatest thing but to have um these great vocalists who are able to do different styles that nathan um having four of those features on like five of the songs is very cool because i think it's gonna you know like it's definitely a tool that I'm using and that I'm trying to, you know, get more people to like check it out, I guess, you know, and I think I I involved like similar enough artists where if they like one, they're going to like the other one as well. Mm. And that's kind of like the, the real momentum behind this EP is that uh, I think a lot of people are going to, when they see it, they're going to be like, who is this band that I've never heard of that has all these people. Yeah. And it's like, and it's not like if we didn't have that uh, like feature, we wouldn't have our own sound. I mean, I guess we're trying to prove that with our second EP, but like not involving so many uh, guest features. But yeah, I think people are gonna see that there was a reason to have to these vocalists, not just because they are like renowned vocalists. I think uh, if I did my job right, when they hear it, they will be like, all right, it makes sense why he got this guy on this part. You know why this song, like compared to the other song where the other guys on, you know, I think that's gonna be something that's very special about this EP. Out of everything, yeah, is that it involves so many vocalists, including Nathan, that people are gonna be excited about, and hopefully, it get, I get to put it out in front of a lot of people, and they all hear it.
0: Yeah, dude. Uh, very curious. Before we wrap it up, speaking of guest vocalists, how did the I think his name is Shaylee? Yeah how did that come about because i think that was one thing that stood out to me i think when you posted a video of you doing the solo yeah thing, i immediately knew it was him without even reading anything because his voice kind of really stands out yeah and uh was that something you always had planned or just well
1: first of all yeah like i agree with you like he uh um i'm a big fan of his voice especially you know, of mice and men i know uh his other project they show which is also cool um it's all him singing but him having i mean having his kind of voice as, like, the like the buttery, smooth part of, like, the chorus. Like, your typical, well, not typical, but, like, your traditional structure, like we talked about, if you're going to have heavy parts and melodic parts. I think his voice works, like, one of the best ones as, like, the contrast to, a, like, a screaming vocal. So that's just how I've always felt about his vocals, and I didn't really think that he was ever going to be a part of this project or anything, because I didn't know him. I met him maybe once as, like, a really young kid when I went to Warp Tour, and, you know, and like made him sign my tank top or some shit like that you know <laughs> but um he uh ever since uh he was out of a mice and men was doing day shell um i followed him um not only because i really um really like him as a vocalist but on the shoulders played for uh like an all-stars tour and we opened for one of them one of the dates and day shell was right after us and from then i just really wanted to see like track that progress and To be honest, I don't think they blew up to a point where I think they were going to with Shaley's skills. I mean, he's a great musician, but I think his voice just does so much better in like a a contrast way where he's the clean singer of like a heavier project. I think that was the lane that a lot of people found his voice to be good on. And as he was being more like more DIY, which uh, with Dayshell, and looked like he had a couple members involved, but now it's just all him. He started doing a lot of things to like, uh, like, to like raise funds for his band. And one of the things that he did was, I don't know if that's what it was for, but one of the things that he did was, hey, like, if you want me to sing on your shit, um, just send me to me. And then if I like it, I'll let you know what the price is. And it was simple as that. He just heard it, and then he's like, yeah, this is your price. And If you want it, pay it. And I was like, okay, I'll pay you. <laughs> and then as a professional musician, he just sent me like something really good with like multiple layers and stuff, and like within a week. So was very professional about it where i paid him and he delivered and i was like all right cool i don't know who's gonna do vocals i don't have any vocals i didn't even write these lyrics but Shaylee has this so i gotta make something of it so that was a huge part of what made me want to pursue this is because i yeah
0: lit that flame up your ass like yeah oh, this is reality and this is cool I fuck with it. let's get the ball even more rolling
1: yeah exactly and it was a lot of work since then but yeah i think uh that Now that I think about it, I didn't think about it that much, but that really kind of inspired me to make something of it, is having someone like Shaylee on it. And then I, I guess I got a little greedy after I got him. I was all right, I want more now. So I want four features out of the five songs. And, and yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. dude, that's <laughs> I got a pee again. am sorry, I'll be out there. <laughs> Bro, it, it's nuts. And I'm so glad that we did this
0: because, I mean... We have a lot to talk about. we already at two hours. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to edit edit these and fucking learn as I go. It's our cop beer. Which one? It's our Blue Lives Matter beer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the guest vocals. Yeah. So, you got a little greedy. like Yeah. I t- <laughs> you got a little greedy. Uh, dude, I did it. I oh I knew the Shaylee guest vocals when you posted it on IG with the the solo, and it's funny because, uh, <laughs> I always wondered about like if you were an A7X band because the guitar, obviously. But I love that solo because, it re- it does remind me of that kind of sinister gates kind of tone and that oh, shit, style hell yeah. with the fucking the you know on the neck and Damn, really I should I should tag
1: them huh like yo sin should be the <laughs> caption. <laughs>
0: I heard. I heard he's a cool dude. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'd be like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" You gotta get the gloves too. You gotta really reenact the whole scene. The fedora.
1: Circuit. Yeah, I think dude. that's what I did for my seventh. I mean, yeah, seventh grade talent show. I wore a fedora and I wore uh, the half gloves and uh I wore pink sunglasses while I was playing and was a Epiphone SG. Fuck <laughs> yeah,
0: dude! Oh man, that's I mean, awesome. you know
1: what we covered? We covered uh to end the rapture and uh the beginning of unholy confessions
0: <laughs> just the beginning yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dude i i had a similar story like that in middle school but i look back at it it's so weird it was just me on guitar and we're playing system of a down and it was just me and this other guy doing vocals <laughs> there was no bass player there was no drummer but as a kid it was just like <laughs> dude in front of all these people it's so fucking weird
1: i think um since uh I mean, I feel like a lot of us we are uh, doing metalcore music. We're first generation, you know. We're never like, oh yeah, I'm, our parents did metal, you know. Like so, we're always the first one. So, I feel like now we've know like we're aware or we we're remembering about the embarrassing like middle school first, uh, first band experience. Really, I think when it comes time, if we do have children and our children become musicians we know for a fact that's the time to film them (laughs) you know like yeah they're they're gonna (laughs) they're gonna want to look back at this they're not
0: gonna want to look back at this at some point and then they're gonna want to and be like fuck (laughs) it's worse than i thought it's way (laughs) worse you know why did you
1: record this but i'm thankful you did (laughs) you know
0: oh man um it took me back to memory lane dude i can't even get into it just so bad
1: yeah i know i think uh I did it seventh grade and I did it with a bunch of eighth graders and they're all pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I was a shit. So I was like, all right, next year i want to do it too. And then, yeah, we like, f- I think I fucked up or the drummer fucked up. And yeah. like, I talked to my friends after and they're like, yeah, it sounded like you guys fucked up. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> damn it. God yeah. damn it. You
0: know,
1: And we played uh muse for my second year.
0: What song?
1: I think hysteria. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, uh, that's when I, I was still in my very Asian phase and I was covering Canon Rock after too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just whip out a nylon at
1: <laughs> the Canon Rock. Have you seen that? Like the Oh,
0: the the electric the, version? Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. Where yeah. it was like one of the first guitar videos to go viral on YouTube, yeah, you I think, do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and then that actually that really inspired me too. I was like, "Man, I'm like I never seen guitar play like so cool before you know? it's like a fucking little kid i'm like moving from new zealand back to korea i'm like watching this and like damn I'm, like i could be that asian guy you know? dude uh <laughs>
0: you, you ever see that guy uh his, i think it's called Mac on youtube no i don't think so he does like these funny guitar videos but he has this video has like six million views it's like me playing dragon forces through the fire and flames without knowing it and herman lee the guitar player of dragon force is doing a reaction video to him He's like, oh wow six million views <laughs> He must be amazing. And that video is him making not making fun, but just playing fucking gibberish, dude. <laughs> just absolutely not fucking doing it. Herman Lee's like God damn he's like, I think he played three notes right. <laughs> fucking
1: Herman Lee, man.
0: Yeah, dude. Fucking
1: he was cool. a, he was almost cool. It <laughs> <He laughs> was all he was almost our Bruce Lee just <laughs> the wasn't, guitar
0: dude yeah with dragon force was that like in the guitar hero
1: kind of yeah guitar phase? it was the it was the last song right and it's like if you beat the song an expert then you are a guitar hero type yeah. thing but yeah i feel like after william hung kind of brought us back a couple years with asians it was herman lee after and he you know, was like oh it's i got you're almost cool man like almost cool but something about you is really gory you know
0: yeah, what happened? I was just
1: there, right? Those plateau. No, out. I mean he—he's uh, actually a good guitarist. I see. Uh, I think it was like last time I saw him was he was doing like a shred battle with Jared Dines. Oh yeah, yeah? and they're honestly Jared Dines too. He's a great musician too. Like both of them, like they're playing really well. Where I was really impressed. I was like, for some reason, I thought like I think, um, Dragon Dragon Force through the through Fire and Flames that song being as big or being blown up through Guitar Hero. I think um, it, Herman Lee might have gotten some like a lot of hate, saying like, "Oh yeah, like he's not as good as how people think," you know. Oh, like just because it's hard on Guitar blah, blah, blah. but I've seen it firsthand. He's he's really good. <laughs> he fucking yeah, rips. He, yeah, he a, there's a reason why it's on Guitar here, I yeah.
0: Think. yeah, he deserves everything to him, man. Well, we should probably wrap it up because right. we're going I mean, two hours. But anything you want to say? Uh, no, I mean
1: thanks so much for having me on this, man. I'm, I don't know when. If, when I'll hear it again but hopefully you edit out all the, the dumb shit I said and make me sound smart no <laughs> oh,
0: dude this is this is honestly so natural and fucking cool I'm stoked to have you on here
1: hell yeah man I'll see you next time next <laughs> time